we're so nice to these people that that we know on the periphery. And yet, when your husband comes home, you don't necessarily get him a coffee, and you don't necessarily compliment him because you know what he said to you this morning. And he was not very nice when he left for work this morning, and so he does not deserve it. That's a candid admission from Sheila Gregoire, and you'll hear more from her and her husband Keith on today's Focus on the Family about making small adjustments in your thoughts and your attitudes and uh, having a stronger marriage because of that. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. John, last time we had, I thought, a great discussion about the way we think about our spouses and how if we think in a more appropriate way, a more godly way, we actually will eliminate so much of the tension and the conflict that exists in marriage. Uh, We talked about how we tend toward negativity. And this is something, you just look at the culture at large. We gravitate toward those things. We look at the most negative aspects of each other rather than lifting up the positive elements in our marriages. And uh, I thought that was refreshing, and we're going to talk more about it today. It really is uh, easy to kind of get into a negative rut, and uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Well, let me welcome both uh, Keith and Sheila back to the broadcast. Thank you. We had fun yesterday. We did. It was it was fun. And uh, and yet it ended with a heavy note because we talked about the loss of your son and how your marriage survived that. And Keith, you said something I want to pick up on that I thought was well said, that if that would have happened earlier in your marriage when you didn't understand these dynamics better, uh, you're not sure where you would have ended up. And there are marriages that are at the five-year point or the 25-year point, maybe beyond that they haven't had that revelation yet, uh, and they've lived in bitter conflict, but they've just settled into that area. And they've never done the hard work, I would suggest, of of kind of climbing out of that and to think differently. Uh, let's start there, uh, because that helps frame the discussion the rest of the way. If a couple is in that spot, they're just in a pit of negativity with each other. And again, they may have been married a long time, Um, How can they change today? How do they go home, take off all those layers of negativity and start doing something differently? That's one of the big problems, because when you do have huge problems in your marriage, what do you tackle first? And what I often tell couples is you got to just be friends again. You've got (laughs) to find ways to spend time together, because when you can do that, when you can start laughing every day, then you bring the tension down so that you can start dealing with some of these negative things. But often we get in a rut and when we get in a rut, we stop talking. We stop doing anything together. And the only way out is to start spending time together because every couple is going to drift apart. If Mm. you're not careful, you will drift. (laughs) But what if they're saying, yeah, we can't even go there without a fight. I mean, the reason we don't Mm -hmm. spend time together is because we can't be friends. It's Mm -hmm. always argumentative. Then when you're in that fight, Stop thinking of it as a fight and start thinking of it as how are we going to find a win-win right. where both of us, where both of us end up happier and more at peace. Because often I know when Keith and I used to have these disagreements and I was always trying to win. Mm. And the problem is if you win every disagreement with your spouse, you're going to be married to a loser. <laughs> And nobody wants to be married to a loser. That is really well said. (laughs) Say it again. (laughs) If you win every disagreement with your spouse, then you're married to a loser. (laughs) Yeah. So it's important for you to make sure your spouse is winning. Yeah, you both have to win. I remember this one time 
we were in the middle of a really big disagreement because my writing and speaking career was taking off and I really wanted to have an extra, even just a half a day to work on some magazine articles. Uh, but we were homeschooling our two young girls uh. and Keith at the same time had this really busy medical practice and he was on call several nights a week and he just needed some time to himself. Um, and he wanted one night a week where he could get together with some friends and, and play some games and do some things. And I thought, you want to play games more than you want to support my career. And we were in this thing where either I get my needs for my career or he gets his needs for his relaxation. And that was not a good thing until Keith was finally the one who said, okay, we're being ridiculous here, Sheila. There has to be a way where we can both get what we need. Yeah. <laughs> and then we just brainstormed some ways and we figured out a really good win-win where he just took off an extra ha afternoon a week and he came home and homeschooled the girls and gave me that time because we figured in our case, it was better to take a little bit of a reduced income and yet to have that stress-free. Yeah. So there are solutions, in other words. There are. Hey, uh, last time we did talk about this, but I want to kind of um, make sure that we've hit it sufficiently because your book deals with it, and that is uh, the intimacy issue. And one of the things you said in your book uh, was this, having sex isn't the same as making love. Describe what you mean by that. Billions of people on this planet have had sex. Having sex is not that hard. <laughs> making love is very different because making love is all about intimacy. And that's what God made sex to be. It's so that you can feel like you're one. It's about spiritual intimacy and emotional intimacy and physical intimacy all at the same time. Uh. And what our world has done is they've taken sex outside of the marriage context. And as soon as you do that, then it's not about intimacy anymore. It's just about the body. And sex becomes focused just on pleasure, on having fun, on me getting my needs met. It's very self-focused. And we grow up in this culture, in a pornographic culture, in a culture which tells us all these lies. And even if you're a Christian, it's very easy to buy that lie that sex is only about feeling good, only about me feeling good and not understanding the real intimacy. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you hear from a lot of women uh, where they have that uh, high drive and maybe their husbands don't. Um, from them, this can feel humiliating or like there's something wrong with them. Um, what hope would you give that woman that maybe appreciates the physical intimacy even more than her husband, which you know, maybe the 80-20 rule, this is that 20%. Yeah, I think it's actually closer to 30 now. Yeah. 30% <laughs> of women have the higher sex drive in their marriage. And it's really important to get to the bottom of why, because it might just be a normal variation. And if it's just a normal variation, that's when you got to run to God um, and say, Lord, you've got to start meeting my needs. And that's when you need to be really open with your spouse and have some of those hard conversations and just say, I need us to feel close. Can we talk about how we can find some compromise here and how we can both build each other up? And that can be an area where the door is shut pretty hard, that the conversation doesn't flow as easily as you made it sound. Mm -hmm. I mean, you start the conversation, you're the... I'll describe as the desperate spouse and you bring this up and the other spouse just shuts down because emotionally it's hard for them for whatever reason. If you keep going to that dead end, what can you do? Again, you got to get to the root of it because 
in a lot of cases, it isn't just a normal variation. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of cases, it might be due to stress, in which case you've got to look at the underlying issues of why we're so stressed. But the biggest reason that men are losing their libido today is because of pornographic use. Yeah. And sometimes it might not even be porn use today. It might have been the fact that they used porn for 20 years before they got married. And it's affected their ability to get aroused by their wife because pornography retrains the brain so that what is arousing is an image or a video or something instead of a person. And then when you're with the person, it doesn't do anything for you. Yeah. Uh, and so you've got to get to that route as well. Let's touch some of the other topics. Um, the number one thought that you had in your book was, my husband is my neighbor. Mm -hmm. I love that. The, of course, the little diddly pops into my head. My husband is my neighbor. <laughs> but <laughs> how is he my neighbor? When, when we read the parable of the Good Samaritan, the, the message that we often take from that is that everybody is our neighbor and we're supposed to be nice to the people out there. Even your husband? <laughs> but no, we often don't realize that your husband's your neighbor too. How many times do we women... Um, maybe you go into work or you go to church and you, and you say, oh, you got a new haircut. You look so good. Here's a coffee I picked up for you on the way in. I just thought you might like it. And we, we're so nice to these people that, that we know on the periphery. And yet when your husband comes home, you don't necessarily get him a coffee and you don't necessarily compliment him because you know what he said to you this morning. And he was not very nice when he left for work this morning. And so he does not deserve it. Keith, <laughs> why'd you do that? <laughs> I mean, that is true, isn't it? It works both ways. Absolutely. I think that we're, we often take for granted the people who are closest to us, yeah. uh, and we don't show them the appreciation and love and care that we show to complete strangers, and it's a real shame, and I think that's, uh, that's why this thought, although it sounds simple, is very revolutionary. If I treat Sheila as my neighbor and love my neighbor as myself uh, every day, how can your marriage not get stronger? You know, what comes to mind is, uh, I'm sure this is kind of typical, but there, there's a fight going on or a conversation going on. Disagreement. That we're having. And the phone <laughs> rings, and the person answering it is also very nice, right? <laughs> oh, hi, how are you? Yeah, things are good. Right? So it, why do we do that? Mm -hmm. Well, here's another one. I used to notice that every time I would go grocery shopping, I would put makeup on before I left the house. Because people might see me in the grocery <laughs> store, and so I need to look good. And yet, I realized that I don't put makeup on when just my husband's coming home from work. Mm. And I thought, why am I trying to look better for complete strangers than I am for my husband? And so now I try to put lipstick on before he comes home. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, that's you know, sweet. it's just a little she thing. She always looks fantastic. It's just a little thing. How often are we more focused on what those other people think of us than we are, how can I honor my spouse? Yeah. I mean, it, it's a wonderful way to think about those things. But you can quickly rationalize that because you get into a, a mm -hmm. slump. Because we know, we know our spouse's faults so well. And we know what, how they've messed up. And so we can exactly, we can rationalize treating them badly. And, you know, when you live in this spot, um, you can drift apart. And you used an analogy in the book that I thought was brilliant. That's the sea otters. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know that story, but tell us all about the sea otters. Okay, this is the most adorable thing in all of creation. Uh, sea otters, when they sleep, they hold paws. <laughs> that is so good. They, they lie in their back in the water and they hold paws. And that's so that... Uh, in the morning, they don't wake up miles apart because they've drifted. Right. And Laying on their back in the ocean. Exactly. And it is natural to drift apart. This is what people don't get. We think that because we were best friends when we got married, we're going to be best friends forever. But no, you might start in exactly the same place. But overnight, you could end up miles away from each other if you don't take care to hold pause. 
Okay, mm. just <laughs> stay close. Do things that counter that drift and that fight that drift. Right. Do you have advice for that couple, probably younger than Gene and me, <laughs> where you have, you know, two-year-old, a four-year-old in your house, and you got so much chaos going on, and they're struggling in their marriage because yeah. they don't get the time together. The expectations are all blown up. Um, what would you say to that couple in that chaotic moment? Yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, first of all, I think you have to have grace for each other uh, because we have busy schedules and we, we have to be watch our expectations on each other. Uh, but I think that you need to be intentional. You need to f- carve out time, even if it's just five minutes a day, to say, you know, where's your heart today? Um, what's happened that's really weighed on you? What's lifted you up and made you sore? Like, tell me what's going on inside you today. And the only time is when one of you is doing the dishes and the yeah. other one's head and, is in the dryer. Yeah, right? and that's okay. <laughs> Take that time. And sometimes the, the uh, what made you sore was that you took the kids for five minutes around the block, so I got five minutes of quiet, you know. Um, but just connect each day. Uh, and it doesn't have to be big things. People talk about having a date night every week. And, and I, I, sometimes people find that more stressful because you got to make all these plans and it's more, it causes more grief and stress. Uh-huh. I just think on a daily basis, you need to be spending time with each other. I remember one time I asked Dina how she was and she started talking about the kids and I said, no, no, not the kids. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go to the heart and she said, they are my heart right now. And I realized, oh, I, if I ask that question, I better listen and not critique or, or say, no, don't talk about that. Yeah. Uh, our discussion today on Focus on the Family is with Keith and Sheila Gregoire. And uh, Sheila's excellent book is called Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage. And the subtitle really describes it because a great relationship doesn't happen by accident. And we're talking about kind of retraining the mind and looking for the positive. You know, I want to be mindful of a certain segment of society, and we have a family member that lives in this particular space, but they have a severe um, special needs child, and their marriage struggles. I think it's natural that you have that much caregiving occurring, but speak about that relationship, the great dangers that exist in there, and how can they be realistic about their circumstances and what they can do to build into each other? Don't aim for perfect. You don't have to be a perfect mom. You don't have to always do everything right with your special needs child or with whatever the big problem is. Sometimes you just need to get through the day and that's okay. (laughs) If that can be a major success. And I think with your marriage, it's the same thing. Like you said, you don't necessarily need a date night every week. Maybe all you need is to head to bed together at the same time because that's very important and spend a few minutes talking and just hold each other and that can be enough if you do it every day and it becomes a habit yeah that's good hey also you talked about number five was about not competing with your husband and I guess, again, you can fill this in either way, competing with your wife. Now, this is a touchy subject, <laughs> and we got to rip the Band-Aid off this mm-hmm. sore idea. But biblical submission, leadership in the home, wow. Okay, so what does it mean to not compete with your husband when he makes such bad decisions, Sheila? <laughs> if you knew my guy, I mean... Tell us about it. I think the whole way that we talk about submission pits husbands against wives. Because if I were to ask a group of women, what does submission mean? Everybody would hem and haw. And then finally, I think the women would say, well, I guess it means that when we disagree, my husband makes the final decision. As if that is the definition that God God wrote all this stuff in the Bible just to say that in the case of ties, the guy wins. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a very simplistic and odd way of looking at it because nowhere else in Scripture is it assumed that two Christians will disagree. 
And yet the way that we talk about submission, we're assuming that a married couple will disagree. <laughs> and that God had to put submission in there so that when they disagree, he makes the decision. And I just don't think that biblically that is what it means. I think what it means is that we are going to chase after our spouse's best. <laughs> and we are going to uh, look after our spouse's needs, look at what God is doing with our spouse and run with that. And how can we support them? It's a whole lot bigger than just in the case of ties, he wins. It's something, it's an attitude throughout the day. And it's always there um, that I am going to support my husband. Um, and I think that's a taller order, but it's also much nicer and way of looking at it than we're always going to be at odds with each other. Okay, now you sound like you really have ironed this out, but there has to be something in your past <laughs> where the two of you really went at it. But I mean, just for us to learn about, did, yeah. does that come naturally for you, Sheila? Or oh, I did you have to a, learn, okay, where's I, the best here? I am such a gentle person. I <laughs> never disagree with anybody, and I never try to have my own way. Can't you tell? He's got the biggest <laughs> smile on his face. So. When I married this woman, I knew she was a real firecracker. I can and, see and that, yeah. She's a, she's a force of nature sometimes. <laughs> uh, and I love that about her. You know, and I never want to change that about her because, I mean, God's using her to do great things because of that that uh, iron will that she has, right? Um, I think the thing is for both of us is the always putting your partner's needs ahead of your own. Yeah. It's more important to be one, like O-N-E, than to be right. Yeah. Uh, we want to be looking out for each other. We want to be doing what is in the other's best interest at all times. Yeah. And Sheila's very good at that. Uh, I feel very supported and loved and uh, cared for, and I hope that she feels that from me well, as well. And I want to put the shoe on the other foot because, you know, we're putting Sheila on the spot with submission. But, you know, we talked a bit about it. But what is that responsibility? A lot of men can make the mistake of saying, hey, listen to me. Mm. I'm the one that gets to make the decision in the tie. Absolutely. And, um, thing, and that's an error, right? Absolutely. And one of the things I, I get very distressed about is men who think that uh, that verse means that they're supposed to be some sort of drill sergeant with a whip saying, <laughs> right. you know, when I say jump, you say how high. And I, I don't think that's the Christ-like model of what leadership is. I know it's not. Uh, clearly it's not. And I think that, uh, I mean, Jesus, the last thing Jesus did before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane was wash his disciples' feet. Uh, I think if you're not leading from a position of humility um, and servant leadership, then you're not leading the way that you really should be. Um, yeah. Now, I think that the point is to take the initiative. The point is to to say, uh, I want to listen to you, and I want to pray about things, and I want to go where God wants to take us. Uh, but I think it involves communication, both of you working on that, not just me saying, this is what we're doing, you better get in line, lady. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's the Christian model at all. The interesting thing when you talk about decisions is that if you disagree, there is only two possibilities. Either one of you is wrong or both of you is wrong. Huh. And don't you think that God would rather that both of you be right? That's why I find it so odd that we frame submission about decision making, because in our marriage, we have always, always said that we're going to find unity. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And yeah. sometimes that's been tough. It was tough when we had to decide what house to buy when we were moving to Belleville because I really wanted the big one. And he was like, we can't afford that. That's yeah. not a good idea. <laughs> and I was not happy with that. So we had to really pray before I realized, oh, man, Keith is right. And he totally was. In retrospect, ooh, that would have been a disaster. Um, but we've had to hash it out about what church to go to, all kinds of things. But we always said we need to find unity in this because if we don't, then how do we know that we're right? How do but we know we're following God's will? That unity, that is well said, and I agree 100%. But that unity comes through discussion. And as you just mm -hmm. displayed, I mean, you had a different opinion mm -hmm. um, and somebody had to 
get in line with the other. And hopefully, you know, there's give and take on that. But that comes through a process, right? It does. And sometimes it's an issue that you can't resolve because the other person isn't willing to get in line. For instance, if if one person's perspective is, you really need to quit the porn, <laughs> and the other person's perspective is, but I like the porn, <laughs> then that's where uh, you might need to get a third party Absolutely. That's something. over the line, exactly. way over the line. Yeah, exactly. But you've got to be willing to hear each other. Mm-hmm. And as you said so clearly, be willing to uh, look for the other person's best interests. And and that's what you're talking about. Yeah, and that's, I think, why God made women to be helpers. A helper is a position of strength. <laughs> and, and we're there, we're perfectly made to help our husbands, which means sometimes the way that you help them is by calling them on things. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you know, the, the difficulty too, though, in our culture, and again, we can debate the finer points of this, but you know, uh, there is an expectation for men to, to more understand their feelings and the what some have called the feminization of culture. And I think to a degree that's factual. I think we're not, you know, just off on the farmland and come back in and say, woman, where's my supper? <laughs> I mean, that's a good thing that we're trying to communicate as loners, as men. But in the context of all that, um, men may be losing their masculinity or their sense of manhood. Talk about that take charge woman. And you know what? I'm making the decisions because all that guy does is sit and watch football all day long. And, you know, he maybe barbecues once in a while for us. But she's a take charge kind of person and she's paying the bills and she's making decisions on what school the kids should go to. Or maybe they're homeschooling and she's doing all that work, whatever it might be. She's just an assertive, go get it kind of person and her husband may be a lot more uh, reserved um, um, passive passive yeah. yeah and there's a danger because when someone who is extremely active marries someone who is extremely passive what happens is that you tend to go towards the extremes so you become even more assertive than you were before because you see someone being passive and it scares you so you you go in and you fill all the gaps and then because those gaps are filled the passive person becomes even more passive mm-hmm. and so 10 years later you're even worse than when you started and there is no way that you can badger a passive person into becoming more assertive ah. and so if you are in a position where you are doing everything in the marriage and you are so ticked because your husband does nothing or because your wife does nothing the only way for them to do more is for you to stop filling all the gaps yeah and, and talk it through talk it calmly through. And call out the good things in your spouse. You know, yeah. God is doing things in your spouse. Call them out. Mm. <laughs> Speak them out loud. Um, you know, hon, I, I noticed the way that you praised Stephen after his loss at the soccer game today. And I noticed the way you just put your arm around him and you and you told him that you were proud of him. And, and that made me so proud of you. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm just so proud that you are such a compassionate man. You know, say those sorts of things out loud. Well, and that's, you're giving exactly the answer to the question I wanted to end with was what would be a couple things people could do tonight they've lived in this mess maybe a year maybe uh 20 years and they need help and you've said you're saying it right there which you said last time look for a couple things to be positive about and think more positively about your spouse and talk Mm -hmm. and build that emotional intimacy with each other 
Um, I think you'd agree with those points. Absolutely. That's what you've taught me here. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, everyone will learn from your book, Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage. It's real simple. It's changing behavior in the most positive of ways. And yes, it's right there in scripture. Think upon these things, you know, mm -hmm. um, the positive nature of each other, the God nature in each of us. And uh, I think when you do that, your marriage will be in a better place. Thank you both Keith and Sheila for being with us. It's been wonderful. It's been great. Thanks for having us. Well, we really have enjoyed this conversation and our program was provided by Focus on the Family. And on behalf of Jim Daly, thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. Think more positively about your spouse and talk that is the key of what we learned from Keith and Sheila Gregoire today. Our thoughts are so incredibly powerful, and I can completely understand how changing our thoughts about our situation in life can have a transforming effect on us and our relationships. Our resource offering is a book by Drs. Les and Leslie Parrott titled 25 Ways to a Happier Marriage. It is a simple guide to helping couples find happiness in their marriage. You can get that when you call us on 031-716-3300 or when you visit our website at safamily.co.za. And then finally, when you get in touch, please help us to help others. Every day we come alongside couples through our radio programs, uh, all the resources we have online, and we give hope. And in fact, last year alone, just in South Africa, more than 7,300 couples told us that we help them build stronger marriages. So if you'd like to be a part of that kind of an outreach, join our support team today. No donation is too small and we'll put your gift to work to save marriages. You can donate through our website at safamily.co.za. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa. Please tune in again next time when we will once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.